Yo, welcome back everyone to another episode of Ballin' with Tyler Todd. Thank you for tuning in. We got all major sports covered today. Baseball, basketball, football, you name it. Talking more baseball, catchers and pitchers have reported to spring training. Let's go, man. Extremely exciting to see all the big names out on the diamond finally. Continuing on with prominent names, we have some exciting teams this year looking to make a splash in their respective divisions. I mentioned last week that the American League East and the National League East are the two best divisions in baseball, and rightfully so. Each division bolsters three to four teams that can finish first in each division. Three to four teams. Talk about competitive. In my research on MLB.com this week, they have posted their 2021 predictions for all the teams. However, I'd like to weigh in on this and say I disagree with some of the standings. Covering the American League East, I'm going to start off with the last team in the division that is projected to finish fifth. The Baltimore Orioles will finish with a record of 63-99. and Their starting lineup looks like this. Pedro Severino at center, Trey Mancini at first base, Yomer Sanchez at second, Rio Ruiz at third, Freddie Galvis at short, Austin Hayes in left field, Cedric Mullins in center field, Anthony Santander rounding out the outfield, and Ryan Mountcastle is the designated hitter. Looking at their starting rotation, the first person on the bump is going to be John Means. Second day pitcher is going to be Keegan Aiken. Third pitcher is Dean Creamer. Fourth pitcher is Jorge Lopez. And their final pitcher, day five, is Bruce Zimmerman. This Orioles team, man, is not very good, and I understand why they put them at that list because they really have no depth. They really don't have a star player. They probably will have legit one guy who will play above average, and they will be lucky if they have a player that plays at an all-star level. The next team on the list, the Boston Red Sox, I predict they will finish fourth with a record of 80 and 82. Their starting lineup will look like this. Christian Vasquez playing the catcher position. Bobby Dahlback at first. Enrique Hernandez at second. Rafael Devers at third. Star shortstop Xander Bogarts. Left fielder Franchi Cordero. Alex Verdugo in center field. Hunter Renfro, former Padre in right field. And rounding out the DH spot, J.D. Martinez, the guy absolutely just destroys the ball anytime he's at the plate. Looking at the starting rotation, their day one starter is going to be Eduardo Rodriguez. Day two is Nathan Avaldi. Day three is Garrett Richards, also a former Padre. Day four is Martin Perez. And rounding out day five is Nick Pavetta. What is the real problem with this bullpen is that their star pitcher, Chris Sale, is currently on the injured list, and he is not projected to come back until late June, July. Now getting extra heated up in here. The third team on the list, the Toronto Blue Jays. I have them finishing third with a record of 85-57. If the stars align and everything just seemed to work out perfectly, I could see them sliding into first, but that is a long shot. Their starting lineup looks like this. Catcher Danny Jensen. Vlad Guerrero Jr. playing at first base, which is different because he played third all of last season. The veteran Marcus Simeon at second. Kevin Biggio is now at third base. Bo Bichette is at shortstop. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is in left field. George Springer is in right field. Randall Grichuk is in right field. And rounding out the designated hitter spot is Teoscar Hernandez. Their day one starter is going to be Hyun Jin Ryu, former Dodger. Second day starter is Nate Pearson. Third day starters, Robbie Ray, former Diamondback. Fourth day starters, Tanner Rourke. And rounding out that list is Steven Matz. And this is where it really heats up with the New York Yankees and the Tampa Bay Rays as the final two teams. I have the Yankees finishing second with a record of 90 and 72. However, in my research this week, I found MLB.com has this team at first place. 
I do see why they have ranked them here, but I'm holding out for Tampa Bay in my number one spot. This is a personal preference as I think the Yankees are the Patriots of Major League Baseball and I have always disliked them. Their starting lineup would look like this. DJ LeMahieu playing at second base, Aaron Judge in right field, Aaron Hicks in center field, former MVP Giancarlo Stanton as the designated hitter, Luke Voigt at first base, Gleber Torres at shortstop, Clint Frazier in left field, Gio Urshela at third base, and rounding off the list is Gary Sanchez at catcher. Now, this is one of the craziest starting rotations in baseball. Day one starter is going to be Garrett Cole. Second day starter is Corey Kluber. Day three starter is Jamison Tallion. Day four starter is Jordan Montgomery. And day five starter is D.A.V. Garcia. I haven't even mentioned two other names, but you also have Luis Severino and Domingo Germain who are available to fill in in those rotational spots. That is insane depth for a Yankees rotation that is already deep as is. Now the Kings of the American League East once again. The Tampa Bay Rays, I predict, will finish first with a record of 92-70. and 70. Their starting lineup consists of Austin Meadows at the designated hitter position, Brandon Lowe at second base, Randy Rosarena in left field, G-Man Choi at first base, Manuel Margot in right field, Joey Wendell at third base, Willie Adamas at shortstop, Kevin Kiermeyer in center field, and Mike Zunino at the catcher spot. Their starting rotation consists of day one starter Tyler Glasnow, Ryan Yorbro, Michael Wacha, Chris Archer, and the last day starter, Rich Hill. Even though the Rays lost one of their starting pitchers, Blake Snell, to the Padres and their starting right fielder, Hunter Renfro, to the Red Sox, I still do believe the Rays will finish first at the top of the American League East. What I thought would be cool to end out this segment and give it a little bit more flair, the MLB did their top 100 players of the upcoming season. And in this division, the Tampa Bay Rays had four players land on that list. The Yankees had seven. Blue Jays had six. The Orioles had only one. And the Red Sox had four. Combine all that together, they had 22 players total on the top 100 players list for this upcoming season. Make sure to watch the American League East this year as I believe it is one of the best divisions currently in baseball. Still talking baseball, who doesn't love rivalries? Now, speaking of rivalries, round one, fight. Oh yeah, you know who it is. The San Diego Padres versus the Los Angeles Dodgers. The all-time record between the two is Dodgers in the lead with 486 to 403. They have won eight straight division titles and will play the San Diego Padres a total of 19 times this year. Justin Turner, the current third baseman for the Dodgers, gave his insight on the rivalry this year, quoting, We're going to get 19 World Series games this year. Oh, man, you should be pumped. All of my baseball listeners or non-baseball listeners, get stoked for this rivalry. It's going to be the best thing ever. This is by far going to be the best rivalry of the season in 2021. All time, though, this actually really never has been a rivalry. But this season, it's time to watch. The Dodgers finished first in the National League West with the league-best record of 43-17 in 2020. The Padres finished second in the National League West with a record of 37-23, snapping a 14-year playoff drought. 2006 was the last time they made it. After a very heated and animated National League Division Series, the Padres would go on to lose to the Dodgers 3-0. The Dodgers would go on to win the World Series. Looking at the 2021 season, the Dodgers are predicted to repeat a World Series title, and rightfully so. With the roster they currently have and the re-signing of Justin Turner, they have only gotten better. 
even with the departure of outfielder Jock Peterson and infielder Kike Hernandez, they are ready to be the kings of the MLB once again. Looking at their starting lineup, Mookie Betts is in right field. Corey Seager is at shortstop. Max Muncie is at first base. Justin Turner at third base. Will Smith is at catcher. Cody Bellinger is in left field. Chris Taylor is in left field. Gavin Lux is at second base. And Clayton Kershaw is the starting pitcher. Now, I said that the Yankees rotation is one of the scariest in baseball. This rotation is the scariest in baseball. Day one starter for the Dodgers, Clayton Kershaw. Day two, Trevor Bauer. Day three, Walker Bueller. Day four, David Price. And rounding out at five, Julio Urias. Oops, I forgot two more. I didn't even mention them. Dustin May and Tony Gonzalez aren't even a part of the starting rotation. So that's two more arms they can plug in. That's so unfair that the Dodgers have this depth. It's so dumb. Some notable bench pieces are catcher Matt Beattie and veteran A.J. Pollock. Look for those guys to make an impact in the year, even if they're only playing a handful of games. Now getting amped and fired up, the Padres, I believe, are ready to finally make a push for the National League West Division title and have made a plethora of moves in the offseason to make it happen. The Padres signed starting pitcher Blake Snell in a blockbuster trade. They signed starting pitcher Yu Darvis in another massive trade. Signed highly touted Japanese shortstop Ha Shong Kim. Starting pitcher Joe Musgrove, who is a former San Diego native. Relief pitchers Keon Kayla and Mark Melancon, and catcher Victor Carantini, who was a part of the Darvish trade. Oh man, reading these names gets me so hyped. Partner that with a starting lineup that consists of all-star third baseman Manny Machado, rising face of the league, and career now Padre shortstop Fernando Tatis, all-star first baseman Eric Hosmer, and a rotation that includes names such as Denelson Lamette, Chris Paddock, and young rising pitching prospects in Ryan Weathers, Adrian Morahone, and Mackenzie Gore. The Padres are finally putting on the big boy pants. The roster is extremely deep in talent, especially in the infield. Our bullpen is our only question mark, even though we did sign some relief pitchers mentioned earlier, but our closing spot is still up in the air. Losing Kirby Yates and Trevor Rosenthal, our two former closers, definitely has made an opening on the roster for that specific spot. Even though I think the Padres are incredible in all facets of their game, I do believe, and it pains me to say it, that the Dodgers will ultimately take the division. Not to say the Padres won't give up easy, because they will not. They showed incredible fire and spirit last year when playing in each game. Especially against the Cardinals in the wildcard round, where they came back in the series down 1-0 and won two straight to knock the Cardinals out of the playoffs. I love my Padres and I wish them all the success in the world this year, but it may not be it for them in 2021. 2022 and 2023 season, though, check those years for at least one World Series title. It will happen. I am calling it right now, 6.07 p.m., Monday, February 22nd. It has been signed and sealed. Now looking at the talented starting nine, Trent Grisham is in center field. Fernando Tatis Jr. is at shortstop. Manny Machado is at third base. Eric Hosmer is at first base, Tommy Pham left field, Will Myers in right field, Jake Cronenworth in second base, who got robbed of Rookie of the Year last year. Total crap. In the eighth spot, Austin Ola, our catcher, and rounding out the list is our pitcher, Hugh Darvish. 
the starting rotation. You Darvish is the day one starter. Blake Snell coming in on day two. Denelson Lamette coming in at three. Chris Paddock at number four. And rounding out that list is Joe Musgrove. Now, three young arms who aren't listed in the rotation, but I mentioned them earlier. Maury Hone, Gore, and Weathers are providing great depth in youth as well in the starting rotation and in the bullpen. One of those three guys, if not all three, will be pitching this year in, in some part of the game. Notable bench players are utility man Jerkson Profar and new shortstop Ha-Shon Kim. Going back to the top 100 players of the upcoming season, the Dodgers had nine on this list, the most in MLB, and the Padres had five. So that's 14. The American League East had 22 with a total of five teams combined. This is just the Dodgers and Padres at 14. I didn't even include the three other teams. The Rockies, the Diamondbacks, and the Giants. Now that should give you some idea of how legit this rivalry is going to be this year. All right, baseball, it is time to take a backseat and retire for this episode because next up we have NBA, baby. Woo, 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 woo. MVP talks. It currently is a five-player race. And the votings right now at number one is LeBron James. 25.9 points per game, 8.2 rebounds per game, and 7.9 assists per game. I'll remind you again, he's 36, and he's put on a clinic every night, and he performs in every game like it is his last. It's insane. He's putting up numbers that are similar or even better in previous seasons when he was much younger and more athletic. He is the clear frontrunner for the MVP he has been number one each week for rankings in the race, still playing at an insane level in his 18th season. Little did we know back in 2003 that this man would still be playing now at the same level he's been playing at. An absolute icon. He will be dearly missed when he retires. Second on the list is big man Joel Embiid. 29.7 points per game, 10.8 rebounds per game, 3.2 assists per game, 1.2 blocks per game, and 1.3 steals per game. He's hitting every major mark on the stat line. The most dominant center in the game, Embiid is the guy on a 76ers team that sits at the top of the Eastern Conference. Hovering at the number two spot in the rankings for MVP, Joel has had an outstanding year and is showing it in all aspects of his game. He is able to take you off the block, post up, mid-range to long range. He is what you want in a franchise center. Two things that I don't personally like about Joel is that even though he is dominant, it is never on a regular basis. Like, rarely is it. Embiid will go on spurts where he will drop 40 and 10 a game to shoot the ball lights out. Insane. Then we'll drop 10 points with two rebounds and zero blocks the next game. The definition of hot and cold. For a 7-footer like him, it needs to be a reoccurring act each game. Also, this Sixers team really flows through him offensive-wise, so if he goes down, the Sixers will have trouble maintaining that first seed in the East. His impact means more to the team than they know. Third on the list, and I'm so excited about this one out of all the ones that are in contention right now, Damian Lillard, who wasn't even an all-star selection this year, and listen to this, 29.8 points per game, 4.4 rebounds per game, 7.7 assists per game, and 1.1 steals per game. Not an all-star selection? Wow, that's sad. NBA fans, what are you voting for? That guy is killing it. 
He's absolutely lights out. Known for being Mr. Clutch himself, he is a true point guard and is what every team needs at that specific position. He has the ability to distribute, make plays on and off the ball, talented shooter from three and mid-range. He has it all. It's awesome to see him in the race for MVP because he has been seriously underrated his whole career, and I mean that. Currently, the Blazers are without all-star shooting guard CJ McCollum and starting center Yusuf Nurkic, making Dame's role even more important than it already was. This team is looking to him to make the team successful day in and day out without the help of two very good starting teammates. I personally would love to see him win it. He deserves this type of recognition. Coming in at fourth on the list is Steph Curry, former MVP, who is shooting the ball exceptionally well this season. 30 points per game, 5.3 rebounds per game, 6 assists per game, and 1.2 steals per game. He is by far, it's not even an argument anymore, he's the most gifted shooter we have ever seen in the NBA. Shooting 48.6% from the field and 42.3% from three, Curry looks like his old self in this season. A team that once consisted of Kevin Durant, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, DeMarcus Cousins has finally come back down to earth. Kevin Durant is now in Brooklyn, DeMarcus Cousins in Houston, Thompson's injured but still with the Warriors, and Draymond Green is the only Warrior remaining that is in the starting lineup. Steph has made this Warriors team very interesting this year as he has kept them in games and even won them some extremely close games. Outside of him and Green, this team is very weak and is in the growing process. The Warriors now sit at the 8th seed. Curry looks to take them even further than that, and he is very capable of doing so. Without his help, the team would be in a terrible state. He is the sole reason why they are in contention for a playoff spot at the moment. His impact is just as important as Embiid's impact in Philadelphia. Rounding out the list at number 5 is Nikola Jokic. 27.4 points per game. 11.1 rebounds per game, 8.6 assists per game, 1.6 steals per game. The most complete center in our game, Jokic, or as fans call him, Joker, has been vastly productive in his role as the starting center on this Denver Nuggets squad. The man is almost averaging a triple-double. That is mental. Looking at his stats, it is absolutely wild to see a center averaging almost 8.5 assists in a game. Assisting is really not part of a center's game at all. Look at Embiid's stats. He doesn't even have four over a game. This dude is averaging almost nine a game. (laughs) Dude, it's insane. Jokic is what a complete center should be. Can shoot from any part of the floor with the ability to make any pass. Cross court, fast break, lob, bounce, chest, anything. Has the skill to take you one-on-one and is very effective when the offense is moved through him. My only concern with him, and my buddy Steve and I agreed on this, is he needs to work on his conditioning. There have been multiple games where he is exhausted on the court after minimal time on the floor. You look at him and he just looks like he's out of breath after five minutes. Jokic is still young, and if he is able to work on all parts of conditioning in the offseason, he will be arguably the best center in the league for years to come. Outside of the top five players for the MVP race, there are other players that are playing at an elite level as well. Coming in at 6 on the list is Donovan Mitchell. He is currently on the first place Utah Jazz. Currently averaging 24.4 points per game, 4.4 rebounds per game, and 5.1 assists per game. 
Utah is looking like the clear favorites for the Western Conference champs, and Donovan Mitchell's one of the big reasons why they have been so successful this year. At seven, we have Giannis Antetokounmpo. He has won the award before. He is currently averaging 28 points per game, 11.7 rebounds per game, and six assists per game. Averaging a double-double, no wonder they call him the Greek Freak. The Milwaukee Bucks are the best team in the East, in my opinion. Coming in eighth on the list is also former MVP Kevin Durant. He is currently averaging 29 points per game, 7.3 rebounds per game, 5.3 assists per game. I think the Nets will make a run in the playoffs, but don't have enough depth and firepower to compete with other powerhouse East teams like Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and Boston. Ninth on the list, former San Diego State Aztec Kawhi Leonard, currently averaging 26.8 points per game, 5.8 rebounds per game, and 5 assists per game. The Clippers are looking to take the number one spot in the West. I believe they will get knocked out of the playoffs just like last year by the Jazz, Nuggets, or the Lakers. Wrapping up the list at 10 is also former MVP James Harden, who is reunited with his old teammate Kevin Durant in Brooklyn. He is currently averaging 24.4 points per game, 7.2 rebounds per game, 11.3 assists per game. He's averaging a double-double too. I call him basically an offensive flamethrower. He adds another dimension to a Nets team that already has Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris, and DeAndre Jordan. Like I mentioned earlier with Kevin Durant, I do believe the Nets have a lot of star power, which they do, but their depth isn't good enough to compete in the playoffs. That's what makes a team good in the playoffs. You have to have, outside of three guys, guys that can come in and give you solid minutes. They don't have that coming off the bench. They have the typical trio that's going to put up 40 a night from each guy, which is good because that can win you some games, but not all games. And especially if they run into a team like Philadelphia or Milwaukee or Boston where they have depth and they're much bigger than they are, they won't stand a chance. The NBA playoffs are going to be really exciting. The Eastern Conference isn't very strong this year. The Western Conference is very strong. I just feel like there's going to be teams in the West that make more of a run than teams in the East do. There are teams in the East that I think that are higher than they should be. The Hornets are somehow making it into contention, which is weird. The Warriors are now at the eighth seed when they previously were at the first, second, third seed, just killing it, winning multiple championships years in a row. The Lakers are still in contention. The Clippers are up there as well. The Bucks still remain one of the best teams in the East. The Jazz are surprising a lot of people. Not that they aren't good, because they are good, but the past four years they always have been in playoff contention, and they go, and they never get over the hump of finishing a playoff run. And this year, a lot of analysts have them going very deep in the playoffs, and I do truly believe they will go deep in the playoffs, but I just don't know if they can hang. Even though they're the first seed, it doesn't matter, because look at last year. The Clippers were the projected winners to be in the finals first seed, second seed, however far they went, and they got beat by the Nuggets in the playoffs, and they were all better than the Lakers. Oh, just because the Lakers got Anthony Davis doesn't mean they're going to go that far. Well, they ended up winning the whole thing. So there's that weird stigma of, yes, they're the first seed, and yes, they have the best record in the Western Conference in the NBA, but they still have to continue playing at that level all the way through the season, and I just don't know if they're going to be good enough to beat the Lakers or the Clippers at the end of the season. I really want a Milwaukee Bucks and Los Angeles Lakers final. I've been wanting that for a couple years now, and it just hasn't come into fruition, but I hope this year I get my wish. Rounding out the episode, ending with football, we have the breakdown. OBJ, 
I'm here. Odell Beckham Jr. is our next highlighted player on the breakdown. The three-time Pro Bowler, two-time second-team All-Pro, and NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year in 2014 is a dazzling playmaker in the NFL. Known for his ability to catch anything thrown his way, Eldell has made a living off of one-handed grabs, and he arguably has the greatest catch of all time in NFL history. Even though he has made a name for himself in the star playmaking category, he is also known for being a crybaby and drama queen. If you look back to his 2015 game against the Panthers, him and cornerback Josh Norman were going at it all game. You could see the tension was getting to Odell as he was seen throwing a tantrum on the sideline, hitting the field goal net with his helmet, and many other boneheaded moments on the field which cost his team yard after yard in penalties. Even though he has had these unacceptable moments in his career, you cannot deny how legit he is. The star receiver was drafted 12th overall in the first round by the New York Giants. He played at LSU with current teammate and former teammate at LSU, Jarvis Landry. Not known at all for being a tall or physical receiver, Odell has a combo of quick speed to go along with his glue-like hands. His NFL current comparison is wide receiver Deshaun Jackson. Odell was an easy pick for a Giants team that needed help desperately on offense to aid aging quarterback Eli Manning. After a couple rough outings in New York, Odell decided to walk and sign with the Cleveland Browns for $77 million over five years. Before leaving New York, Odell became the fastest receiver in NFL history since the merger in 1970 to record 5,000 receiving yards. He accomplished the feat in 54 games, beating out star wide receiver Julio Jones, who had the record at 56 games. Odell has not returned to his Pro Bowl form in four years and is not living up to his current contract at all. His 2020 season was tough as he only had 23 receptions, 319 yards, and three touchdowns in just seven games. Even if he played 14 games or a full season and doubled what he had now, he would still have finished with 46 receptions, 638 yards, and six touchdowns. Not too strong for a guy in 2014 through 16 who had over 1,300 receiving yards in each season and over 10 touchdowns in each. I talked about Odell in my last show, and truly, I think he needs another fresh start somewhere else. He has the ability to make any offense go from shabby to exceptional within a matter of one game. I truly believe he will be on the move in free agency. Here are some potential landing spots. First team on the list, New England Patriots. They desperately need wide receiver help. Cam Newton, or whoever is going to be under center for 2021, needs to have a number one receiver to dish the football to. They currently don't have that on this roster. Their leading receiver, Jacoby Myers, finished the season with 59 receptions, 729 yards, and zero touchdowns. Former ASU Sun Devil and previous first-round pick of the Patriots, Nikhil Harry has struggled to find his touch and has constantly been on the injury list. Veteran and career Patriot Julian Edelman finished the season with 21 receptions, 315 yards, and zero touchdowns. The Patriots should make a call to Odell immediately. The second team on the list is the San Francisco 49ers, a wide receiver group that has had trouble staying healthy but is very productive and is looking to add more punch to an offense that already boasts George Kittle, Debo Samuel, and standout rookie Brandon Ayuk. Odell would bring an elite set of tools to this 49ers offense. In rounding out the list at number three is the Green Bay Packers Rodgers Beckham connection. That would be dope. The Packers need another wide receiver to partner up with current Pro Bowl receiver Devontae Adams. 
If you give Aaron Rodgers weapons, he has shown that he can torch any defense. Give the man some help in his final years. Come on, Green Bay. It's a shame that there is no football currently, and it always feels like it takes forever to come back around, but I know when it does come back around, it's going to be a great season. Just get here quicker, please. That is going to be the end of this show, but before I head out, I wanted to give a quick little update on three NBA games to check out this week. The fifth seed Trailblazers are playing the seventh seed Nuggets. That game is going to be very good, and this is the most highlighted one out of the three. The second-place Lakers are playing the first-place Jazz. This may be an early show of what's going to be in the Western Conference Finals. We may get an early preview, so that game is going to be sweet. And finally, the third game on the list, the Charlotte Hornets are facing the Golden State Warriors. The Charlotte Hornets, I believe, will somehow make the playoffs. will slip in at that 8 or 7 seed, like I've mentioned before. Stephen Curry is leading the Warriors to a playoff slot, which is remarkable. It blows my mind that they're even in contention, but it just shows you that the will of one player can take the whole team somewhere. That is what makes basketball so special is that even though it's a team sport, you can have teams that are really bad, and you can have one player that makes that much of an impact. The team is going to go far farther than expected, and the Warriors were not expected to really do anything this year. Anyway, thank you, Steph Curry. This is the end of this show. Stay tuned for the Friday episode. Keep listening to the podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Tell your friends, and I'll see you guys in the next one. Later. Later.